What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan, and I'm the host of the Butch Trek Podcast. If you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and please leave us a review. But before we dive in, I want to talk about our sponsor. Are you a business owner and struggling to manage the finances behind your business? Or maybe you're spending endless amounts of time trying to determine the overall financial direction. If so, I want to acknowledge my company, Financial Automation. Through the creation of custom financial dashboards to financial consulting to financial literacy education, we're committed to helping entrepreneurs take control of the finances behind their businesses. If you're interested in learning more, go to www.financialautomation.co and book your free strategy call. Now, onto the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Budge Trek Podcast, and I am here with Gary Krebs. He's a novelist, nonfiction collaborator, literary agent, and longtime editor and book publisher. His debut novel, Little Miss of Dark County, The Origins of Annie Oakley, publishes today. And before writing and agenting full-time, he was a publisher at Brilliance Publishing, a division of Amazon Publishing, McGraw-Hill Professional, Globe, Pico Press, Adams Media, then a division of F plus W Publications, Macmillan Publishing, and others. He was also U.S. editor of the Guinness Book of Records and appeared on Baywatch Television show and other programs to promote the book. There's a lot more that goes to your story, Gary, and I want to let you dive into that. But Gary, how is it going, my man? It's going very well. Um, at least uh, for me and my family, we're very fortunate. I hope everyone else is, is doing okay and is healthy. Uh, for an introvert like me, writing time is always, <laughs> is always good. Uh, my wife's a little more extroverted, so she struggles a little bit more being indoors so much, but we're making do. Well, now is the perfect time to have that alone time because you have to be alone pretty much. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, uh, the publishing industry, for the most part, uh, is shut down. Edit a lot of traditional publishing editors are at home and they're working, but the buzz that you usually get in the industry is pretty, it's pretty quiet right now. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting the way everything's happening right now. But before we dive into your story, I want to give the newer listeners a little bit of background behind Budget Trek. So it initially started as documenting me and my wife's journey to financial freedom, struggle, successes. But then what I wanted to hone in on was the journey. And I think with every entrepreneur, every successful person, there's always a journey from where you started to where you are today. And I really like to talk about the struggles because that's where most individuals really resonate. They want to know, okay, what am I expecting to fail in? Or has this person failed the same way I have and how do they get out of that? But before we talk about your journey, Gary, I always ask this first question, what is the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? So I once worked for a book publishing company and was liaison to a content provider that happened to have a startup uh, alternative holistic medicine site, and it was going public. And it was just when uh, dot-coms were going big. And so everyone in my company had an opportunity to invest in this IPO. And I was so excited that I put in the max, uh, the max you possibly could. And then when it launched, I kept calling the broker and saying, can I put more? Can I put more? Can I put in more? I won't name which one it was, but it turned out by the end of the day, it was one of the most broken stocks in the history of the stock market. <laughs> I lost everything. And um, I've never done that since. <laughs> well, you definitely learn from that for sure. <laughs> Don't put everything into one stock. <laughs> you got to diversify. Well, that's awesome, Gary. So, so I, I talked a lot about you, very high level. You had a book that published today. 
You've been a part of Baywatch, Guinness Book of World Records. So give me the story of Gary from day one. When did you decide you wanted to be a writer? So uh, I started writing when I was five years old. Uh, Before I could even put pen to paper, I was writing on the walls. I was writing stories (laughs) and making stories. And then I advanced to learning uh, how to, I self-taught how to work on a manual portable typewriter and started writing store, typing stories on that typewriter. And I even submitted stories to book publishers when I was probably six or seven years old. And I got some very polite rejections from Random House and other publishers. And I spent my whole life writing. So in school, um, I led the literary magazines. I wrote stories for them. And then uh, I was accepted into Tisch School of the Arts. They still have um, the dramatic writing program there. So I studied screenwriting, playwriting, um, and continued to write fiction as well. Um, but as soon as I graduated, uh, I knew I had to have a job. So uh, as a career, I took on an entry-level job in book publishing, and I love being around books. I love the process of bookmaking. And so I became an editorial assistant and worked my way up in book publishing as an acquisitions editor. Um, and that was really my start, and I loved it. I, I loved working with authors. I loved acquiring books, editing books, uh, mostly uh, seeing books that were successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely tell your passion behind it. I, I think anyone that has, especially in today's world, it's really hard for people to stay focused on one path throughout their whole career, and it looks like you did that. But along that journey, was there ever a point where you were thinking, man, is this the right route for me? Should I pivot and do something different? Did you ever have those thoughts in your head? A lot. Uh, actually, because the, the idea of being a full-time writer uh, was always on my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get a screenplay turned into a feature film, to uh, finish a novel and get it published, to even collaborate on a nonfiction book and get that published, um, to really be part of the more creative end of the business. That was really my end game, I think. And having to pay the bills and then having a family and all of those things, um, plus ambition, uh, because the, the more responsibility I took on in publishing, the higher up I, I got in publishing. I, mm-hmm. I moved up to being a vice president and group publisher at a couple of different publishing companies. And it was nice to have the salary and the stock options and the this and the that. Um, But then I realized how much I hated it. I hated uh, the corporate world. I hated uh, having to, uh, you know, agree with people when I didn't agree and and not having control over what I really wanted to be doing. And so uh, I guess it was around four and a half years, I finally had the opportunity uh, to leave publishing entirely and start my own business. So what does that business today look like? So uh, it started out where I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. At first, I wondered, would I start a literary agency? Um, and I spoke to a literary agent friend. He's like, and he said to me, Gary, why on earth would you do that? You're a writer. This is your chance to actually write. And I right. said, well, I'm not sure exactly. I've been in the business for 30 years, but I'm not sure exactly where to start. And he said, uh, just get your writing uh, biography together and send it to your top 20 contacts and say you're a ghostwriter. And that's exactly what I did. And with, within one day, I received uh, about a dozen responses, one of which was an actual book project in which uh, 
an author who had a book under agreement with the publisher, uh, his ghostwriter became a ghost and vanished. And he was very late on his deadline and needed someone to bail him out. So uh, I had three months to write my first book, but I received the contract in a week. I was speaking to the author every day. I was writing every day. And then the check came, uh, the unsigning check for ghostwriting that particular project. And I looked at it and I said, oh, I guess I'm a ghostwriter now. <laughs> and that's how the business started. And then I took on other projects. One led to the other. I built a resume of titles and, mm -hmm. that, I that I had worked on. At the same time, I came up with an idea for a book project with a longtime publishing friend of mine, uh, Stephen Schiffman. Uh, Schiffman is well known as the world's greatest sales trainer, and he wrote books on cold calling and closing techniques. And um, we came up with the idea of doing a book for, uh, for managers and millennials uh, called uh, Creating Sales Stars. And I wrote the proposal and thought about, well, should I get an agent to represent it? And then I thought, well, I know everybody in the business. So I shopped it around myself. I sold the book. I sold audio rights. And, I was, and then I realized, oh, I guess I'm an agent also. <laughs> I started doing that too. But um, over the years, I've had to pivot and let go of some of the things that were not making money, the mm -hmm. things that were not uh, filling up my time wisely. For example, uh, I took on a role doing some freelance acquisition work for a small publisher, and it was so much work and so little money. And working, I loved working with the authors, and this publisher was great. But the amount of time I would spend on each and every book was like a full time job and took right. away from everything else I was doing. So I, I just stopped after six months, and, and, it, and it was the right call. So, you know, just, just to touch on that, in the digital space, they call it killing your darling. So, when you're writing a book or, or when you're doing something that you might love, how hard is it to be like, man, I love this passage in the book, but it just doesn't work. And then you just have to delete it entirely. How does that, how, how does that process work? Oh, in writing a book, it's, it's very painful. Um, in fact, uh, it's actually in writing a screenplay, for example, that can be the hardest thing to do because, uh, you could write the best scene in the world in a screenplay and love it. And if it's a comedy, it could be hysterically funny. But if it doesn't drive the narrative or fit the characters or, mm -hmm. you know, move the plot along, you have to ditch it. And so right. I have all of these scenes from old screenplays that are among my favorite scenes. And yet I still haven't found places for them yet. <laughs> but I won't let go of them. Yeah. So you, you have to do that. Um, because I'm an editor, I might be in the reverse situation where I'm so critical as I'm writing that I edit as I write. And right. that might actually be holding back some creativity because I'm thinking, well, if I were an editor, um, I, would, I would nix that. Or, and so I, I stop and, and rethink things, and whereas in some cases, I should probably just keep going. Right. Uh, so uh, self-editing uh, can be a problem. Uh, for an editor trying to uh, write professionally. Do, do you think some writers limit their success potential because they don't kill their darlings? Um, I do. Absolutely. I, well, there's also when you're writing, you're in a tunnel and mm -hmm. there's no one else around and uh, you only see things from your view with your headlights on and what's in front of you. 
And so you, you just lack objectivity as to uh, who would be interested in your book, who's going to read your book, why are they going to read the book. So what I found is that um, an author might have a wonderful idea for a memoir and a great story uh, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. But then as they write the memoir, they throw everything into it. They talk about this and talk about that and go down all of these rabbit holes until the book is just nonsense. And nobody, nobody except maybe your, your mother and your dog would read it. And so it's really coming down to being able to self-edit and have some self-awareness and know exactly uh, where you're headed with this. You know, what is your vision of the book and who would, who would buy it and why? And I think this is a good segue because I think a lot of people, especially my age, you know, 24, and maybe just in their 20s in general, want to write a book, but they don't necessarily understand the process and it's becoming easier to self-publish your book, but you kind of lose credibility in that sense. So for, and for, and for, and for the people who do self-publish, they don't kill their darlings. They think, oh, I love this. I don't care. I love it. Who cares? Who doesn't love it? I love it. Right. But I think that that can be detrimental to people's success. So let's walk through that process. If, if I am here today and I come to you, Gary and say, Hey, I'm 24. I want to write a book. Here's my idea. How do I make this idea into a book that could potentially be on the New York times bestseller list? Well, there's, there's so many opportunities for publishing today, uh, which is very exciting. It's different from the way it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. In fact, right now, uh, a lot of bookstore, retail bookstores, brick and mortar are closed. So right mm-hmm. away, that's a huge difference. Retail bookstores were suffering anyway in light of online book selling. So mm-hmm. most books, it's just understanding uh, first and foremost that books, most books today sell online. And it happens the greatest portal is Amazon.com. Whether it's print books or ebooks or audiobooks, most of them are selling online. So uh, I still work with authors uh, uh, as an agent, and they still think that getting books into uh, retail stores is the end-all, be-all. Well, it's not. So you have to get that far out of your, out of your head that your book will not appear, in, in all likelihood, will not be in Barnes & Noble in a retail store. Mm. Um, and, and that's okay, because there's so many other ways to publish and sell books. Um, the first thing you have to do is figure out, well, what vision do you want, do you have? What do you want to communicate? So uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, they want a calling card for their businesses, which is fantastic. They should do that. Um, I think every uh, entrepreneur has a book uh, in him or her. Uh, The issue is really figuring out, well, what makes your vision different from other uh, authors out there? What makes your book special? What will make it resonate? And you have to be able to uh, really attach it to your brand as an author. So, for example, I'll work with various entrepreneurs who want to write a book, and then the first book they write is more of a memoir. Mm. They want to tell their story. You know, uh, they suffered this as a child, suffered that as a child. Well, that might be a powerful story, but mem- most memoirs do not sell. And it will not be a good calling card for your business. <laughs> so your first out of the gate book should be something that represents your brand. What is your value proposition? Um, I always look at it like this in the world of nonfiction, especially for business books or success books. 
you have to introduce what is the problem in the title uh, and subtitle, but also solve the problem in the title and the subtitle. So if you can do that, you already have a leg up because you have a concept that people need. You're trying to solve a problem of that individual. Either you're in business and you're trying to uh, make sales or uh, you're an investor and you want to make money. Uh, you're trying to help those readers find ways uh, to solve those issues or, or to overcome challenges. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing to realize is that most self-published books obviously do not sell well. It's so easy to do on Amazon.com through uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. Uh, there are other ways to do it. You could do it through Ingram Spark. Uh, the great thing is that it's simple, it's fast, it's cheap. Uh, the, the challenge is doing it right, okay? Right. So you have to come up with the right title, the right subtitle. You have to be sure that your book is solid, meaning that your, your book has a, a real narrative flow and you're not doing things that would be red lights to people to indicate that it's an amateurish book. For example, uh, if it's a book on how to help people, if suddenly you're in chapter three and every other word is I, uh, you know you're in trouble because that's a book about yourself, right? right. You're, you're there to help someone and you want to provide examples and case studies, not necessarily from yourself, but from your clients, from other people. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a big thing is just making sure your book has continuity and you're fulfilling the vision of the promise of the title and subtitle. The other thing is don't think you can design your own book cover. If you know a great web designer, that web designer might be wonderful, but might have absolutely no idea how to design a good book cover. It's a totally different art. Uh, so you really want a professional book cover. So um, in the case of, of my book, Little Miss of Dark County, uh, so uh, the publisher uh, uh, and I, we worked together to create uh, this cover. She took my ideas. She tried a few things. It wasn't working. And so I said, would you mind if I go to one of my old publishing friends who's a, an art designer, uh, a book designer, uh, to do it? Would you be okay? And she said, great. So I had her support on it. And uh, the designer, uh, her name is Libby Kingsbury, she banged this out of the park on the first shot. This, I mean, she just nailed it. And right. so, you know, it, it's making sure you have the right cover design that fits the topic of the book, conveys the mood, the atmosphere, the feeling of the book, uh, because professional book publishing people and reviewers, they will sniff out an amateurish book in a heartbeat just from a little thumbnail on Amazon. Uh, customers, readers, they might see that something's wrong with a book they see on Amazon, but they might not be able to put a finger on what's wrong with it. They just know something's amateurish about it. So I've had uh, clients come to me and they will put cartoon art inside their books. And the cartoon art could have been done by a seven-year-old. And I keep saying, listen, you're professional. Would you put this on your website? Would you, <laughs> would you, you know, sell this to your clients? And but some... Folks are so, uh, again, in that tunnel vision that they don't realize that the public is looking for you as an author to be professional. And there's a certain look, feel, and feel that a, a professional book has to have. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially for the people looking to publish a book, because I think the biggest thing, like like we touched on again, is the tunnel vision, is wanting that outside opinion. And I think that's important too, because just because the book looks and reads good to you, doesn't mean that it's going to for someone else. That's correct. I like that you touched on that too many people, especially in the entrepreneur and business owner space, their first book is, is a, a memoir. And it's like, while your story is interesting, the only reason I'm reading it is because I know your story already. For people who don't know who you are, although your story is great, they don't know who you are, so they're not going to read it. Absolutely true. So unless you build some sort of credibility, then you submit a memoir of like, hey, this is how I started and this is my story. People are way more inclined to read it. And it makes sense. But I think people just are like, I got to put my story out there. I've got to put it out there. I got to write a book. It's like, okay, be patient too. I think that's another thing with writing it. It's, it's got to be patience. You have yes. to be patient with all this because writing a book takes time, does it not? It takes a lot of time. And uh, you really spoke to something that is absolutely true in this business, which is that even the best title, subtitle, the best cover design, the best idea, it still might not sell. So the, the flip side of the equation is making sure you have your platform geared up. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you have a community of people who are interested in your topic, uh, friends, followers, fans who, who will look for your content and will actually pay for it. Because just because they click like on your things doesn't mean that they'll spend money for, for your book, which is right. your product, really. And a lot of authors, uh, they'll put out a book and um, uh, the author might be uh, you know, great on Instagram and have wonderful photos on Instagram. But then uh, when the book comes out, you're, uh, the author is just posting pretty photos of herself. That's not going to sell the book. So this mismatch <laughs> between, uh, right. I mean, you're an expert on this topic. I don't know you. Yeah, you're a pretty face. I think you're beautiful. But will I buy your book? Are you really going to help me with my small business or whatever it is? You really have to go that extra mile to connect your platform mm. with the book and show value. Um, Seth Godin, uh, the marketer, uh, best-selling author, he has a lot of great books uh, on this, uh, a lot of great information about how to create your tribe. Um, and once you have those friends, followers, fans behind you, they'll want everything, they'll want to hear everything you have to say. Exactly. But you have to establish that first. The book usually isn't going to do that for you, right? You have to do that, create that platform first. And, and, it, and it brings this question that I've always had, you know, people like Seth Godin and Dean Graciosi, how do they publish so many books? It seems like they're just writing every single day on different books, well, ideas be, they have. That could be. In the case of Seth Godin, his books are really small and short. So for True. Him, it's, they're teeny tiny. The dip is probably uh, an hour read. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so for him, that's easy. But it's all about the messaging. It's all about the True. messaging. They have and um, in cases like uh, Seth Godin and Malcolm Gladwell, you can be rest mm-hmm. assured that those authors are truly writing their own books. Um, in other cases, if you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, you may not be able to write your own book. You could be brilliant at so many things that doesn't mean that you can write. Uh, many of the clients that I work with as ghostwriter or collaborator or coach. Um, they have wonderful ideas, but they just can't write. Uh, many of them, 
and you'll probably relate to us, uh, not that you're, you're this, but a lot of entrepreneurs have ADD. They oh, have I do. Dyslexia. Yep. <laughs> you know, they, you know they go for the nearest shiny object. So right. they can't focus on writing more than one <laughs> I'm probably more than one tweet at a time. Right. So there's no shame in, in getting a ghostwriter to help put your ideas into, into words. Um, so I've helped a lot of authors produce some excellent books, and I can say that each and every one is different because mm-hmm. the books are written in the voice of that author. The content comes from that author. I'm not the one producing that vision or or producing the messaging of that author. It comes from that individual. Um, so I've written equally for women and men and people of all ages and, and everything in between. And it's just being able to channel that person's voice. Yeah. I think that's very, very important. And, and you know, before this, I didn't even know ghostwriting was a thing. I assumed that every author wrote their own book, but it, it makes sense because some people, just because you have a good story, doesn't mean you can put it on into words or on exactly. a page. Exactly. A lot of entrepreneurs just some, even if they have the ability, they don't have the time. Yeah, true. So, I mean, I, I've worked with authors who may have written the first book on his or her own, but they're managing five businesses and they don't have time. And they're promoting the first book, and there's a clamor for a second book. But the author says, "Everybody wants the second book, but I just don't have time to do it. Can you help me get it together?" So I've done that as well. Um, and there's again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's right. just. Uh, a lot of books that you see out there um, are ghostwritten uh, in the sense, pure ghostwritten in the sense that the ghostwriter doesn't receive credit. And then there are other ones where the ghostwriter will receive a with credit uh, or an and credit or maybe mm-hmm. an acknowledgement uh, as an editor somewhere in, in the book. And for me, I don't have an ego about that. I don't, right. I don't really care. I mean, it's nice when they include me. Um, so I was working on a book with Greg Reed. Uh, who is one of the top keynote speakers in the country. Uh, and I was working on a success book with him called Wealth Made Easy. And midway into it, he said, he said, Gary, I want you to be part of this. I want you on the cover of the book. And he just did that um, because he's a great guy. And, <laughs> and he didn't have to do that. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he was so happy with the result and our teamwork that it, it worked out very nicely. And uh, I'm, I'm proud that he decided to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a testament to you and your work, too, and, and kind of like a, a tribute because I'm sure ghostwriting is tough because, I mean, if you love writing, yeah, and, and you do. But I think, too, there's got to be a level of uh, I'm doing all this work with no credit. And I think as human beings, it's just kind of like we, we crave credit. We crave, you know, attention. but um. But no, I think that's really cool that he did that and put you on the cover of his book. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't need it or, and I don't want it. Actually, the only frustrating thing sometimes comes in when, because I'm not just a ghostwriter, I'm also a former publisher. And right. I, I decided on, at publishing companies what, what we would acquire, what books mm-hmm. we would publish. And so, uh, and I managed marketing divisions and editorial divisions and production divisions. So when I give authors advice especially first-time authors and i know that author is doing something really dopey uh that will get egg on the author's face and the author is so insistent on it well i i, I can only do what i can do right, <laughs> I can't right. Tell them, this is what your baby is going to look like you know it's it's that author's baby 
but um, but there have been times where you know I'll try to push back as much as I can, and then I realize the author is dug in, and I say, okay, you're driving you're driving the car, and I I just say, okay, that's fine, you know, I'll go back to my role as ghostwriter, and you know, <laughs> you know, you know whatever happens happens. Exactly, exactly. I, I never go back and say to them, I told you so, but I think. <laughs> But you're thinking it. That's right. <laughs> well, Gary, we'll go and start wrapping up because we, we talked about a lot and I, I don't want to do information overload, especially with something on this topic because it can be a lot. But for someone my age or, you know, someone who wants to write a book and doesn't know where to start, what would be the number one piece of actionable advice you would give to them today? What I would say is you have a lot of time at home now. And if it's not taking away from your business or your clients or what you're doing to make money, it won't take long to just see what the world's biggest storefront actually looks like. Go on amazon.com and start scrolling through the bestseller lists, not just uh, the top selling Kindle books, not just the top selling paperbacks or hardcovers, but at the bottom of every screen for every book, if you scroll down, there are rankings. Um, there's an overall ranking for where the book appears, and there are millions of books on Amazon. So, if you're ranked 140,000 out of three million, that's not so bad, right? I mean, right. Um, but you want to drill into uh, where uh, what are the bestsellers in category. So underneath that are category listings for where that particular book is. So then, as an author, you can click on those categories and see what books are actually selling in the category where you want to publish. So find apples to apples comparisons of books similar to yours, like really similar. Don't think that if you're uh, uh, you know, a thriller writer, don't automatically go to Dean Koontz. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you, know, you have to be reasonable about what it would be like for you as a debut author. Um, but you can go and say if you're a small business owner and you have a great idea for a book that will help small business owners, just click on uh, the subcategories for small business and see what books come up at the top and see what the titles are, see what the covers are, uh, read the descriptions. And that uh, in of itself is an education, I think. Mm. To know what else is out there and what a professional book looks like. And right. What what space you're playing in. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, doing your research, I think that's really important, not only for writing books, but really any area that you're one to dabble in, but that's really good advice, Gary, but we'll go ahead and wrap up completely. Where can my audience find you on social media and where can they find your book that came out today? So, um, I'm still working on building my own platform. I'm trying to, <laughs> what I preach, which is ironic, isn't it? Um, but, um, certainly I'm on, Facebook and LinkedIn. You can find me there. My uh, website is gmkwritingandediting.com. Um, so that is my business website. Uh, my email address is garymkrebs at gmail.com. And so feel free to email. Uh, I accept uh, email queries and things like that, both for ghostwriting and possibly even agenting, although I'm, I'm mm -hmm. very selective about what I can take on. Um, so uh, I'd be happy to answer questions. Awesome. Yeah. Reach out to Gary guys. Let them know what you thought about the episode and Gary, thank you for your time, man. Oh, thanks so much, Brady. Really appreciate it.
Thanks for listening. I post episodes every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Central Time, and they're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other major podcasting platform. Check out our social media linked in the description and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.